Well, hello everyone and welcome to Gospel Community Providence. We are a small community of Jesus followers in Providence, Rhode Island. Our goal in life is to be the family of God, redeemed and transformed by Jesus, living out God's mission in our culture. You're listening to content created specifically for our church community, and the thoughts and teachings that you'll find here come from a study of the Bible that is informed by some of the best thinkers and followers of Jesus today and throughout church history. Just a heads up, you may hear a variety of voices and distractions and noises in the background. This is because we are a church of families with real lives full of children, noise, and interruptions. We celebrate these noises, however, because they remind us that real life is not a perfectly curated moment, but is full of opportunities to worship Jesus through the messy, unflattering, and mundane. In addition to this, you may hear the voices and comments of various audience members throughout the teaching. While this often causes our time to go a little long, it also deepens and enriches our time together as we discuss what we are learning and reflect on how to live it out. So bear with us. We are not professionals, but we are imperfect people who love and serve a perfect God. Let's go. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he said, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it, and and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Amen. Thank you for reading that. So church, we are in the season of Advent, um, which if you are, if you remember, the word Advent means coming. And so this is an opportunity for us to uh, reflect back and remember back on Jesus's first coming. Uh, it's also an opportunity for us to look forward uh, to Jesus's second coming. Um, with Advent, much like with any other aspect of your life, uh, you will oftentimes get out of it what you put into it, all right? If you just roll through it like uh, nothing's happening and you don't think twice about it, it's not gonna be very meaningful for you. 
It's just going to be another week, another month, another, another season, especially right now when things are kind of like very like flat in terms of experiences. It's not like we were going anywhere. You're staying home. You're, uh, you're like, this is the time for us to be intentional about these kinds of things. Uh, if you pause to be intentional about it, if you utilize some of the resources that we provided for you guys or even uh, find some of your own, if the ones that we've provided don't, aren't as helpful for you, um, if you pause and be intentional about it, I think you will be able to find incredible meaning in this season, in this time. Um, and so I want to encourage you, if you haven't uh, started the devotionals from the Advent books yet, uh, or if you haven't done any of the Advent um, uh, rhythms that we've uh, invited you into, uh, it's not too late to start. You can start today, okay? Um, this year for our Advent series, uh, we decided that we would select four hymns, four Christmas hymns, right? No, like, uh, you know, snowmen or uh, whatever. Uh, it's This is just Christmas hymns, songs that we've sung in churches growing up, songs we've heard on the radio that are distinctly written and intended for this season of Advent. Uh, and we're, we, were, uh, we decided that we would spend some time intentionally diving into those songs, uh, looking at their, the history behind the songs, as well as the theology that informs those songs, in order to help us to better uh, pros- process through what, what it is that we're singing uh, on Christmas time and to help us to, help us to be more intentional about those things. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself uh, singing something or saying something that I'm familiar with without truly thinking about what I'm saying, right? I don't know if you've ever done that. Um, I'm sure you have. I have. Uh, you kind of just, you get in the rut, you get in the routine. We say the same things over and over again. And so we don't really spend time thinking about what it is that we're saying. And so this series is an opportunity for us to do that, to think about what we're singing when we sing these Christmas hymns. Uh, and so each week we're looking at a different Christmas hymn. They're all uh, taken from our devotional. So each, each uh, of the days in our devotional focuses on a different hymn. Uh, and each week focuses on a different theme. This, this week's theme is peace. And so our hymn is taken from that week. So last week we kicked off our series with our first hymn. Does anyone remember what the hymn was? Charles Wesley, uh, the song is called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And so the primary drive of that song uh, and the main point that we discussed last week was this idea of expectancy and longing, right? And that's right in the title, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Uh, And he is born to set thy people free, right? He is the dear desire of every nation, He's the joy of every longing heart. And so I asked, what are you longing for in this season? Right? What is the longing of your heart? So this week, we're turning our attention to a song that was originally written for children. Right? Kids are, uh, many of us are new to kids. Uh, and so they're a little bit too young to really like, process through what it is that we are singing and doing together. Uh, but this song was originally written for kids. Uh, And despite that fact, it is full of a deep theology that we get to explore this morning. 
So it is a song that was written to highlight the humble heart of our Savior, of God. And it's, uh, it's, it's at the same time, it is inviting us to respond to him in faith. So let me pray for us. And we're going to jump into our text first this morning. And then we'll look at the hymn together. <sighs> Lord Jesus, uh, we have something that is more sure than the signs and the miracles uh, that were of the past. We have your word. We have the scriptures written down for us that we can put our faith in and trust in because we know that the scriptures reveal who you are to us. In the scriptures, you reveal who you are to us. This morning, Lord, as we spend time reading your scripture, as we spend time discussing this hymn, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd minimize distractions. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me. Um, And I I just invite your Holy Spirit to do the work that only your Holy Spirit can do, this work of transformation that happens when we spend time with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, starts out with this. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose, and we have come to worship him. Um, This is a a well-known story, right? The story of the three wise men uh, who came to Jesus with gifts uh, after his birth, all right. There's no mention. I want. I want to point out here. There's no mention uh, of these three wise men or being kings. Right? There's no. We, the song goes, "We three kings of Orient are." Right. There's no mention of them being kings in this passage. Number two, there's actually not even a mention of the fact that there are three of them. The only reason we assume there are three is because there's three gifts: gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right. It could be two guys. It could be ten guys. For all we know, we have no idea. Right? There's also no mention of a manger in this passage. Right? Most likely, this particular scene actually happened after Jesus' birth, sometime before he was two. Right? So Mary and Joseph are already in a home somewhere in Bethlehem, uh, and they are spending the first couple of years of Jesus' life living there. The reason why we assume it's before his second birth is because uh, Herod, when he uh, freaks out over this announcement of a new king, what does he do? He announces that all of the boys that are under the age of two need to be killed. Right? And so we assume that some, he, Jesus must have been somewhere in that one to two year old range in order for that to make sense. Uh, we're told that they were wise men from the east. Um, this is really interesting, and I was talking to someone about this this week. Uh, most likely, these, these wise men from the East were actually um, a remnant of people who had been influenced by the ministry of Daniel. All right? This is really, really cool. Do you guys remember the story of Daniel? I actually, I think what I want to do for our mission study next fall is go through the book of Daniel. There's so much uh, that is relevant for us in the book of Daniel. But Daniel uh, is, a, is a young boy when uh, Israel is invaded by the Assyrians and uh, the Assyrians wipe out the, the entire nation of Israel and they take captives with them back to their capital. And, and these captives were 
uh, were of royalty. So, so Daniel was a, 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 of noble birth, and so he uh, was an important figure in the nation of Israel. So by taking these, these children who were royalty back to Assyria, it, well, it's almost like a hostage situation, right? It helps keep the people in line that are left behind. Uh, it also helps to inform the king of Assyria on how to respond to certain uh, you know, things uh, on how to govern the Israelites that are left, right? And so this is some 600 years before Jesus. Daniel is taken to Assyria, and in the book of Daniel, we learn about how he is forced to display great faith as he uh, learns to follow the way of God uh, in a foreign nation in exile. And he does this so well that God continues to bless him and prosper him until he comes to a place of like incredible influence in Babylon, right? Babylon and Assyria. Um, so the only other time that the Magi are mentioned in the Bible are in reference to Daniel's time in Babylon, right? The story of Daniel uh, tells us about how God used him powerfully in the Babylonian and the Persian empires. Um, and it would appear that Daniel's belief in God actually influenced these wise men 600 years later, all right, imagine, imagine for a moment that we are, we live in such a way in the city of Providence that our influence is felt for 600 years in this city, right? Daniel lived in such a way that his influence lived far beyond him to the point that 600 years later, these men, however many there were, uh, made this trek to Israel to be able to meet this king of the Jews. Uh, let's read on in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Uh, if you don't know anything about the Herods, that's okay. Uh, the Herods, they had generations of Herods that would uh, have various forms of influence over the course of Jesus' life. Uh, the Herods were notoriously unstable uh, people. They uh, were emotionally a little bit out there. They were, uh, they were, they were very uh, cynical. They were very, um, what, what's the word when somebody is uh, uh, always thinking someone's out to get them? Um, paranoid. They were super paranoid. The Herods were extremely paranoid people. Right? Every time there was a threat to their throne or their, their rulership in any way, uh, they would take action to the point where some of the Herods even killed their own family members in order to maintain power. And so when it says that the king was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him, it means he freaked out. Right? What do you mean there's a new king of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews. Verse 5, and they told him, uh, the, 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 the chief priests and the scribes told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for, it is, uh, for so it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Right. That's what he wants to do. He wants to go and worship Jesus. Uh, that's not what he wants to do. He wants to eliminate him because he's a threat. And so this, it's interesting to me that in this passage, 
uh, the scribes, the leadership, they know when the Messiah was to be born. Right? They know generally where the Messiah would be born. They know the region. Right? Somehow they use their, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the wise men somehow use their study of the stars to calculate the time and the location. Right? And so this is an interesting case uh, study into uh, God's special revelation and God's general revelation. We've talked about this a little bit in our, in our Wednesday night group. This idea that uh, all of creation actually uh, it, 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 it is a revelation to us of God's reality. That he is present, that he is real, that he is among us, that he wants a relationship with us. And I don't actually need to have the scriptures to understand that God exists. But we also have special revelation, the scriptures, which help to inform that and, and, and fill that out for us. So it's interesting to me that these wise men, they knew where to look. Uh, they knew what time to go, okay? And there seems to be an assumption um, that if they, if, if the foreigners from the east are eagerly seeking the king of the Jews, then maybe the, the children of God would be seeking him as well, right? There's, they almost come with this naivety, like, oh, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews and we're looking in the palace because that makes sense, right? Where would the king of the Jews be born? In a palace, Right? And so if, I'm, if I am a foreigner looking to, to meet and worship this new king of the Jews, I would anticipate that the people that I'm going to go see are going to be like Daniel. They're going to be people who are passionate about God. They're passionate about the coming Messiah. They're passionate about following the law of God. And that is not what they find in Israel. Right? Unfortunately, it's often the religious people that miss God's work around them. Isn't that crazy? Right, that should be troubling for you and me. They come to the palace expecting to find the newborn king. But Jesus wasn't born in a palace, was he? He wasn't even born in Jerusalem. Right, there's something there. And we're going to dig deep into that in just a second. It's also interesting to me that the chief priests, the scribes, the religious leaders, they, they know right away where to look in the scriptures to to find out where the Messiah would be born. And yet, they don't accompany the wise men to Bethlehem. Right? I'm going to let you read into that what you will. Uh, this passage that the, that the scribes and the, uh, the chief priests turn to is found in the book of Micah. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Micah, chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 4, because I want to talk about this for a second. In Micah chapter 5, verse 1 through 4, it says this. Now muster your troops, O daughters of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and, when the rest, and then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in, in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. 
the role of prophets in the Old Testament was to be voices on behalf of God. When the people were living in sin or when they were rebelling against God, God would send prophets into their midst uh, to, to preach to them, to speak truth to them, and to challenge them to return to their God. And so uh, this is the same Micah is preaching about a coming nation, like the Assyrians, right? That were going to come and wipe out the nation of Israel because of their sin, right? These are the same Assyrians that we just talked about in Jonah, right? Do you remember what Jonah, uh, Jonah believed about the Assyrians, what he thought about the Assyrians? They were not great people. And this particular, in Jonah's case, this particular city repented and was met with God's mercy. Uh, and yet a hundred years later, we see Micah preaching in Israel that the Assyrians are coming. And why are they coming? They're coming because Israel has been in sin. They have rejected God. They've rejected the way of God. And they need to experience the consequences of that. So Micah is actually a prophet who serves around the same time frame as Isaiah, uh, Hosea, and Amos. They're all contemporaries that are preaching together in various parts of Israel. And they're calling people to repentance. Right? They're preparing them for God's coming judgment. And most importantly, don't miss this, uh, they're speaking hope for the future. When we're talking about God's judgment, when we're talking about God's wrath, it can be easy for us to get lost in that and assume that God must be angry all the time. Right? But that is not the case. Right? God is like a father. When his children misbehave or disobey, he corrects and he disciplines and he instructs so that his children can experience life. Right? And so in the same way, the prophets are speaking of the hope of what is to come. So verse 1 says, get ready, get your troops ready. The enemy is coming. And in verse 2 it says, but there is hope. Right? There is hope. What is this hope? And then Micah goes on to describe a new kind of ruler. Right? A ruler of Israel, and he's coming. This is a promise. He is coming. Right, he is coming from of old, from ancient days. This is the one who has been promised time and time again. Right, he is the eternal one. This is God himself. He's coming. And he, Micah promises that he will draw all people to himself. He will stand kind of like a shepherd over his flock. He will guard and protect his people. And most importantly, they will finally dwell secure. In a time when things were not very secure for them, this is a really important promise. They will dwell secure. Uh, the most shocking part of this entire proclamation that Micah is preaching is not who was coming. They have heard of the Messiah. They know that the Messiah is coming. They know that God is sending a servant or, or some form of a divinity is coming in order to uh, bring redemption to his people. They know that the Messiah is coming. The most shocking part here is actually where this new ruler would be born. This is the first time we learn about where this ruler was going to be born. It says he would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And I'm going to tell you why this is important in just a moment. But first, a story. <clears throat> so back in the late 
uh, mid to late 1800s, uh, there was a man named Phillips Brooks who pastored in America. He's actually, he was a native of Boston, so he's in our neck of the woods, right? Um, he pastored in Boston for a season. He pastored in Pennsylvania for a season. He was a contemporary of uh, Charles Spurgeon's in England, right? And he actually had a very similar level of influence in America as Charles Spurgeon had in England, okay? Uh, he was a very well-known and a very well-loved pastor in his day. Uh, and he actually pastored through the Civil War, okay? This is, he pastored through a pretty tumultuous time in the nation, right? We think we're in a tumultuous time now. I wouldn't want to be in his shoes in the 1800s. Uh, and he was so, such an influential pastor during the Civil War that he was actually invited to preach at Abraham Lincoln's funeral. Okay? This is a man who was beloved, influential. Um, after the Civil War ended, the Civil War had taken such a toll on him that he, he ended up taking a sabbatical. Okay, a sabbatical is a time for ministers, for pastors to rest, right? They get away uh, from, from their day-to-day, and, and it's intended to be a time to just be with the Lord and, and, and rest your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit, um, and, and honestly, just to listen. God, I mean, this is what we have, I've been working towards for seven years, for, for however many years. Uh, Lord, what is the next thing for me? It's a time of rest, Sabbath, sabbatical rest, okay? Uh, and much like many pastors that take sabbaticals today, uh, when Phillips Brooks took his sabbatical, he decided that he would go see the Holy Land, right? When are you going to go see it otherwise? It takes a lot of time. Uh, it's important for, 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 uh, for us to see it. Uh, and so he decided to take the sabbatical in the Holy Land. And so I believe it was Christmas Eve in 1865, right? And Phillips Brooks finds himself on the outskirts of Bethlehem, okay? Uh, and as he is riding near, near uh, in the evening, I think it was like, it was dark outside, it was late at, in the evening. As he was riding by horseback through the fields outside of Bethlehem, uh, he was reminded of the Advent story. And he was reminded uh, of the angels that came to visit the shepherds in the fields that he was passing through. Right? This was a, 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 pivoting, like a pivotal moment in his life as he's experiencing this uh, in a new way. And so he, he uh, attended a Christmas Eve uh, service that was being held at the church that was built on the traditional site of the nativity. There's a church that was built where they believe uh, the, the site of Jesus' birth was. Right? And this service was from 10 p.m., until 3 a.m. So I promise you one thing. We will not have a 10 p.m. till 3 a.m. service uh, this Christmas Eve. Uh, but we will try to find a way to uh, join together in a meaningful way during that time. So he spent this time from 10 p.m. until 3, 3 a.m. worshiping with other believers at this church. And uh, this seems, scene that he experienced, it struck him so much that a few years later, as he was preparing for his own Christmas Eve service in Boston, uh, he wrote a little poem that he called, O Little Town of Bethlehem. We just sang it a few minutes ago. Uh, and it was originally intended for the kids and his church to sing. 
Right? He wrote a poem that he wanted his ki- the kids in the church to sing for the church uh, on Christmas Day. Uh, and so he did what no, uh, no pastor should ever do. He gave the lyrics to uh, his organist about two, three days before the service was supposed to happen. He said, hey, can you write a tune for this? I don't know, something simple. And so the organist wrestled with this for three days. He's like sweating bullets trying to write a, a song that makes, a, 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 a melody that makes sense for this song. And it's, it was after midnight on Christmas Eve or on uh, the night before the service, that he wakes up, like having had no success yet, he wakes up and he has a tune in his mind that he quickly jots down. And the next day he, he teaches that tune to the kids who sing it for the church. So that's the tune that we sing for a little town of Bethlehem. It's a song that was intended for kids, but it's got some incredible theological depth for us. And I wanna work through this verse by verse real quick, okay? Uh, verse one goes like this. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Um, if, you're, if you're willing to unmute your mics, uh, is there anything that jumps out at you from that passage, from that, from that verse? Is there anything that like, man, I, I love this line, I love this phrase. I don't understand this portion. The irony here, it's okay guys, we're we're all a little bit silent today, but that's okay. Thank you for sharing scriptures earlier. Uh, The irony of this verse, this first verse, uh, is that it probably more or less describes Philip's experience more than it describes Mary and Joseph's experience, right? Oh, little town of Bethlehem, you're so still and you're, you're deep in dreamless sleep and silent stars are going by, right? In Jesus's day, right, when he was being born, Bethlehem would have been far from still and silent, right? Uh, Mary and Joseph would have been losing their minds as baby Jesus was on his way, Not only that, but there's a worldwide census going on that has brought uh, countless numbers of people into Bethlehem that don't typically live there uh, in order to to count uh, who belongs to which homes. And so Bethlehem, which is normally a rather small and insignificant town, would have been overrun with people. And we know that this is true because when Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem, there's not even a room for them to give birth in. Right? If there's one thing that people bend over backwards for, it's women who are giving birth. Okay? Uh, if, if there's a woman that comes and she knocks on your door and says, hey, I'm giving birth. Can I borrow your house for a second? You're going to say, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Just don't get anything on the carpet. Um, that's, it is so packed in Bethlehem that there's not even room for them to do that. Uh, this verse dugs at something deeper than that, though. Right? Kings are not meant to be born in stables, right? Kings are not meant to be born in insignificant places, right? Kings are meant to be born in palaces, right? So how much more should the king of kings be born in a place that is significant? The promised ruler of Israel, the Messiah, he came to a place where he was unnoticed by almost and everyone. 
right? Phillips describes a scene uh, where everyone slept thinking that this was just another normal night, right? Yet something of great and eternal significance was happening in their town, perhaps next door, right? The Messiah, the everlasting light, God in flesh was being born. Uh, This name, Bethlehem, Beth means house. There's a couple of cities that we see, even in the the United States, Beth-el, right? House of God. So Beth means house. Uh, Lehem means of bread, house of bread. So Bethlehem was an agricultural little village that was uh, just provided uh, wheat and pasture lands for, for the area. And it's primar- Bethlehem is primarily known for three stories in the, in the Bible, um, four if you include the nativity. Um, it was the place where uh, Rachel uh, dies while she's giving birth, and she, so she is buried in Bethlehem. Uh, it is the place where the story of Ruth takes place. Right? Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, that whole love story that happens there actually happens in the Bethlehem area. And then it is also the place of King David's uh, upbringing and anointing. So that is the only three aspects, three stories we see in the scriptures that make Bethlehem of any note for us. But other than that, it was a place that was rather insignificant. It was about maybe eight, ten miles away from Jerusalem, and that's where all the action was. That's where the temple was. That's where the priests were. That's where all of the important things happened, not in Bethlehem. Right? And in, Bethlehem, in Micah 5, we learned that Bethlehem would be the honored place where God would become flesh. And the only people other than Mary and Joseph who would witness this birth are shepherds. Right? I don't know. Like Maybe we think shepherds are like these like cool, like hipster you know, folks that live outside. They take care of sheep. I don't know what, what your percep- perception of shepherds are, but they were essentially homeless people. Right? They lived oftentimes outside in caves watching over the, the sheep overnight. Okay, these are essentially homeless people that they didn't take baths regularly. They weren't clean. They, were, they couldn't come to Sabbath because someone's got to watch the sheep while everyone else goes to Sabbath. So they weren't typically very godly people. Okay, these were the people that witnessed the birth of Jesus. One commentator says this, This town was so insignificant in the tribe of Judah that it was not even mentioned in the, in the list of Judah's towns in Joshua 15 or in Nehemiah 11. Okay? It, just, it just doesn't, it's not significant. Right? If you've ever felt, this is important right here, if you've ever felt insignificant, purposeless, powerless, and we need to remember that God chose a stable in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by those that were considered nobodies to be part of history's most important event. That's verse one. Verse two. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. If the first verse is, is, is kind of, uh, the setting is kind of in, in Bethlehem, uh, the second verse, the setting is in heaven, right? What is going on in heaven while Jesus is being born in Bethlehem? Okay, it says, for Christ is born of Mary. Christ, if you're not familiar with the term, is just a a Greek translation for the Hebrew word Messiah. And born of Mary, who is a teenage girl of really of no earthly significance, right? Uh, While Bethlehem is sound asleep, what is happening in heaven? 
right? Phillips tells us that the angels were watching in absolute wonder at how things were unfolding. And he gets this idea uh, from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 12, where Peter is talking about angels and prophets, and he says this, uh, while it was being revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you, uh, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Right? It's this idea that angels cannot be saved, right? Angel, humans can be saved, right? Angels do not experience salvation. So when they get to, exp- get to watch and observe uh, salvation happening on earth or, or God's grace being unraveled on earth, they're on tiptoes, right? They're looking into this in wonder. Um, one of my former professors, when he's talking about this passage, he said this. Uh, this final phrase of our text about the angels Uh, tells us that angels long to look into the things relating to our salvation. There are two different Greek words here. One which means to stand on tiptoe as if you are at the back of a crowd trying to watch a parade. The other means to stoop down. It is the same word used for Peter and John stooping to look inside the empty tomb on Easter Sunday morning. These angels are so eager to understand God's grace that they stand on tiptoe and bend down from the battlements of heaven to marvel at the unfolding plan of salvation. And this is, I think, the emphasis that, that Phillips is trying to, to bring to, to this second verse, that these angels are collectively holding their breath as they watch these, the unfolding salvation before them. In this moment, all of creation is proclaiming Jesus' birth. And yet all of this is done in the meekest and humblest way possible. So in the last two verses, we transition from these physical places and locations to really what's going on inside of our own hearts. And they're more of a prayer than anything else. Listen to this. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, But in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. The promise that Phillips is reminding us of is this, that even though almost everyone missed Jesus' first coming, anyone who turns to him in meekness will experience new life in Christ. Right, meekness is this idea, this, this moral quality of humility and gentleness. Right? In order to be meek, you have to be incredibly strong of spirit. Right? Yet you also have to be uh, extremely humble and gentle. Those who come to Jesus with meekness will experience a transformation. And the song ends with this prayer. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. This is a prayer that I want us to practice praying this morning, this week, and this Advent season. Right? It is a prayer in which we ask Jesus to be present with us, to reveal and destroy sin in our lives, and to breathe new life into us.
into our families, into our neighbors, into our coworkers. It is a prayer that invites God to abide with us. Right? The name Emmanuel means God with us. There's something going on on the street outside of me. I don't know if you guys hear the music or not. It's a parade. There's a parade that's coming through right now. And so I'm going to wrap this up. Matthew's story to the wise men ends with this statement. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right? This, this experience that they have, it ends with joy and worship. It ends with joy and worship. God himself descended from his heavenly throne to be born in a stable to make a way for you and me to be made right with him. Right? And this ought to bring us to our knees in humility because we were, you and me were worse than nobodies. We were Jesus' enemies. We were enemies of God and yet he came for us. So this week, I invite you, maybe write that last verse onto a card, print it out, and I want to encourage you to pray it, right? I want, you to, I want to encourage you to repeat those words as your own prayer uh, this week. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, uh, we turn to you with expectant and longing hearts, knowing that you are the fulfillment of the longing of our soul, right? It is only because of you Uh, that we get to experience new life. It is only because of you that we get to be made right with God. It's only because of you uh, that we get uh, to be transformed into your likeness. This morning, Lord, and this week, and this season, and this Advent season, we ask that you would give us a sense of wonder at how you use the simple, insignificant among us. Lord, if you picked a place like Bethlehem and a place like a stable and a place surrounded by shepherds as a place where you are going to do the most significant thing on earth, Lord, we believe and we trust in faith that you can also use us. We love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.